welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Native elders, community members, advocates, and others are striving to make Alaska a more equitable place and seeking to improve public safety and justice, while at the same time opening up discussions and visions with people of all cultures, identities, genders, and ages. Many say now more than ever before is the time to create a society they envision for future generations and to protect the way of life of Alaska Native people. What role are individuals, Native organizations, and their partners playing to make that happen? Join us as we talk about Alaska Native social justice doers right after the news. From the 2018 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Terp Krause. The annual Elders and Youth wrapped up Wednesday. The theme of the three-day convention was Our Ancestors, Our Fire. That theme echoed through much of the Denina Convention Center over the course of the convention. It was a particular fitting metaphor for the youth keynote speaker, Tristan Madros. Our ancestors are fire. I think that's a very wonderful theme for this conference because it's true. You all have a fire within you. It connects you to your ancestors and your land. It's what makes you who you are. The 20-year-old is actively involved in his own community. He serves as second chief on Caltech Village Council and other positions. Madros encouraged others to carry the fire. You are the culture bearers. You are the bridge between the past and the future. It is your responsibility, though you may not know it, but you have to start somewhere. You have to keep that fire burning bright. The fire that our ancestors started within us. It's in each and every one of you. Breakout groups talked about a number of different topics, such as traditional sewing, bead making, language, and using cultural healing to deal with community issues such as substance abuse, violence, and suicide. First-time elders and youth participant Aidan Bauer said he liked the amount of leadership and initiative he's seen at the conference. So to be able to see rooms full of people that one way or another know each other, to be able to see people communicating like that, it's, it's really something. And uh, it fills my heart with joy to know that uh, my uh, little cousins and future nieces and nephews will be doing the same. The political atmosphere was somewhat thicker than at previous conferences. On Tuesday, the news that Alaska's lieutenant governor resigned after he made inappropriate comments circulated around the Denina Center. Valerie Davidson was sworn in as lieutenant governor during a private ceremony. But on the closing day of Elders and Youth, the message was about moving forward. Liz Medicine Crow is CEO and president of First Alaskans Institute. And every year our youth just totally inspire us. Our elders um, are so supportive of our young people in this environment, and they just really want to support their knowledge development, support their understanding of who we are and the things that have happened to us and why certain things are showing up, Um, making sure that we know what our culture is and what it isn't, and giving people tools by which they can bring their full self forward. Many of those taking the initial steps into leadership were announced. Region-specific representatives for elder and youth were called on stage and took a group photo. In the previous years, participants were also recognized. 
The groups also discussed how to create resolutions, and regional groups voted in new elder and youth representatives to serve in 2019. Um, and so what we try to do in elders and youth through the resolutions process is use it as a learning opportunity, um, giving people the um, kind of the, the basics on how to do it, especially our young people, and giving them an opportunity to use their voice to say these things matter and I want you to help me ensure that they are addressed. And they get a chance to kind of write and draft and think through their ideas um, and get some support and feedback from their regions. And then coming forward today with an opportunity to actually vote on which ones will be adopted by the participants of the Elders and Youth Conference. One resolution called for more state and region-specific education in schools. Another seeks to allow Alaska Native high school students to wear regalia and other items of significance during graduation ceremonies. Some of those resolutions will be forwarded on to the Alaska Federation of Native Conference, which begins Thursday. The theme is innovation in the past, present, and future. The mayors of Fairbanks and Anchorage will give opening remarks. Governor Bill Walker, Tara Sweeney, and others will speak. From Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Trip Krause. The AFN newscast produced by Kowanik Broadcast Corporation and Native Voice One. Funding support from Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, Conoco Phillips, the Siri Foundation, Exxon Mobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Donlin Gold, Maneluk Association. Chalista Corporation, and the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and today we're going to talk about social justice, what individuals are doing, tribal organizations and partners, and what social justice means to Alaska Native people here in the state. I have two guests joining me today, um, Andrea Sanders and Kendra Kloster. Um, Andrea, please introduce yourself. Good morning. Uh, my Yupik name is Agashluk, and in English, I'm Andrea Sanders. I grew up in uh, Bethel, Alaska. I currently work as the uh, director of the Alaska Native Policy Center at First Alaskans Institute. Thank you. Welcome. And Kendra, please introduce yourself. Good morning. I'm Kendra Kloster, originally from Wrangell, Alaska. I'm Clinket uh, Kiksaudi Raven. I am currently the executive director for Native Peoples Action. Thanks for being here today. So Andrea, um, your work with the First Alaskans Institute includes uh, covering social justice. Can you tell me a little bit about that work and um, the recent summit that was held? Sure, yeah, so our work is, um, it's diverse. You know, our mission is progress for the next 10,000 years. And so um, we're really responsive to what's happening in our community, messages that we're hearing. Um, we felt that there was so much happening um, both here in Alaska and nationally that um, was making our, f our, our people just kind of feel this, the weight, the weight of a, a number of complex issues. And so we decided we needed to mobilize and host a social justice summit um, to uplift and amplify the work of many and also to tackle a number of really challenging issues and put forward solutions and do some alliance building. And um, that was really the intent of the summit. It was called the Social Justice Doers Summit. 
emphasizing the doers, emphasizing those who are constantly standing up and stepping up um, on tough issues um, when, when no one wants to address uh, any, any number of issues. We didn't, we didn't seek to define social justice. What we did was seek to understand what that term meant to others and bring visibility to the things that others are passionate about so that we can see each other's efforts and then figure out how we can better support and where appropriate um, try to align and magnify the work of others. And Kendra, you're also involved or attended the summit. What is, um, so Andrew was saying it was about the doers. As a doer, what did that mean to you? What does that social justice mean to you? Well, during that summit, which I thought was um, really great, and we had a lot of discussion um, that really brought issues forward, and some of the things that we work on within within Native People's Action is looking at really putting in our culture and our indigenous community um, within within social justice, but within just transition right now. So this is something that MPA is currently working on and working with people across the state on how we kind of move away from just um, an extractive resource economy, but really starting to revitalize our languages and starting to work towards renewable energy and also working towards having an economy where your work is valued and where you're, the labor that you're doing is something that you enjoy and you're a part of and you're putting back into the community. A lot of things that we work on is encouraging community to get involved, to do small businesses, to do um, just real community building through a, a number of different avenues, whether it's going to be, you know, building, for example, I've been involved with building new parks at our Chonsnew Muldoon Park, and that's just on a community level, but also putting in um, farmers markets, and that's just kind of a grassroots level, and of course, going all the way up and ensuring that we have an economy where people are valued and putting into and not just an extractive resource economy. So I think that there's a number of different things within social justice that we are looking at. And Andrea, talk a little bit about including partners and all cultures, ages, genders. What does that look like and how's the vision for that? Sure. Um, Well, we uh, put out a call for proposals and we did receive a number of um, various submissions um, from you know university folks to um, folks working on just transition, um, there was one that talked about bringing the hula culture back into the school as kind of like a way of curbing bullying and so there was just a really interesting mix of voices and regions represented. Um, the workshop that I hosted had to do with ending the criminalization of our ways of life. For me, that is a critical part of my work um, and my lens when it comes to social justice issues. For me, it has to specifically do um, with the way the laws and the policies in Alaska have been stacked up against us as Native people who um, have lived what's been called a subsistence lifestyle. Um, But for us, it's really just our ways of life. It's not just about the food, it's also the act, um, the, the learning that happens when you're on the land, um, the stories, the knowledge, uh, the freedom to be who we are and how um, state law and federal law has put us in positions where we at times feel like criminals for just going out and providing for our families. 
Um, and so I, I had this idea of coming up with a spectrum. And at the bottom of that social justice spectrum is kind of where we are now, criminals in our own homelands. And then um, getting higher up on that spectrum was, um, you know, bringing visibility to the difference of our racial and our political status as Native people. I think there's oftentimes um, only a, a understanding of our racial identity, right? But not always an understanding of our unique political status as Native people, the government-to-government -government status. And so I think in order for us to get out of this um, mode of criminalizing us, people need to understand that we have a unique government-to-government -government relationship and that I think we can, we can alter the way we're managing our resources once kind of that common knowledge is, is uplifted. And then the top of my spectrum was um, that our values, our knowledge system is embedded and is guiding the way in which we steward our resources. And so for me, I was trying to bring some visibility to those issues. And we had a number of others go ahead and write down what their spectrum would look like what's at the bottom of their spectrum, whether it's for LGBTQ rights, whether it's for um, access to equitable education. And we just started plotting those things down, again, to bring visibility and, and, and acknowledge and start to see each other in these various movements um, so we know where we can plug in. If we have a unique skill set, if we, if we have something we can offer, that we begin to start mapping out, so to speak, how we can link arms in this work. Um, so we don't burn out, so we don't burn each other in the process, um, but, but again, just uplifting and supporting. And speaking of that government-to-government -government relationship, um, there was big news, big changes this week um, in state government with uh, Valerie Davidson being sworn in as uh, the new lieutenant governor of the state. And she gave, she talked with tribal leaders yesterday at the tribal leaders conference, um, and it was her first public appearance. Oyana for allowing me to be here today and um, I just want to acknowledge that um, while I'm really honored to step into the role of Lieutenant Governor, um, this is not really a situation that any of us could have predicted and um, I'll just be honest, yesterday was a really tough day for all of us. Um, but today is a new day and today is opportunity to move forward to work together to continue to heal the past so that we can move forward in strength and together. And that's what we do as Native people, and we will continue to do that today. Um, I know that um, some of you, I know actually a lot of you in the room today, um, and but there are some of you who I don't know, so um, let me do a proper introduction. Um, Anaka Yupiluk, Kuli Nogomiluk, Akaka Kasawak, Port Richard, Washington, Nagomiluk, Kuinga Shinget Haidawa, Kekwa Nawa, Jasnach Higgins. My Yupik names are Nukhawalak and Amishamaganan. My English name is Valerie Davidson. If you forget my Yupik names, um, we Yupiks have this wonderful word, we just say Uzuk, which basically means, hey, you. <laughs> 
Epson, have courage. You're our governor. We believe in you. And this isn't what we wanted, but you made the best choice in the in Valerie. And we're so ever so grateful for Valerie. And I just want you both to have strength and courage in the coming days. And we'll stand with you. And that was uh, Valerie Davidson, the Lieutenant Governor of Alaska, and also at the end, uh, Tribal Leader Clinkett and Haida Tribes, uh, President Richard Peterson, sharing a look, some thoughts yesterday. And she got a standing ovation from, the, from all the leadership that was there at this Tribal Leaders Conference when she came to the stage. And there's a lot with this. But Kendra, I want to go to you first, and then Andrea, just your reaction um, to what you heard. So I have a lot of respect for Val. I, you know, I've known her for quite a few years, um, and so in my previous work, um, doing a lot of policy, I've been able to work directly with her, and so I do have a lot of respect for her, and I think that she's going to do a great job. You know, one of the things within policies and for us in the um, Alaska Native community is ensuring that we are represented um, through the different policies and through within the administration and also ensuring that when policies are being discussed, Alaska Native people are always at the table and our culture, ways of life are always considered first. And so, you know, a, a big deal for me is ensuring that that not only continues, but it needs to grow. We need to ensure that when policies are being made, that the tribes of each region are going to be consulted. And so those are discussions that I know I've had with her through, throughout the years, and, and I really appreciate that and know that she'll bring that to the table. You know, it's, it's a tough time right now. It was really tough these last few days of what's going on. Um, but, yeah, we need to, you know, find our path forward, and I, I know that she'll do a great job. And, Andrea, uh, before I go to you, if, you know, the, what happened was a, a res resignation of Lieutenant Governor um, Byron Malott and Governor uh, Bill Walker uh, chose Val, and this was uh, Valerie Davidson, and this was her, her first public um, appearance in this new role. So, uh, Andrea, go ahead. Well, I agree with Kendra. Um, I have the most respect for Val. We're from the same community, and so I feel like I've grown up uh, looking up to her my whole life, and this is just another opportunity to continue to um, trust in her and her leadership. I think it definitely help in, helped us. Uh, it could have been a really hard fall, but, you know, knowing that Val was the next to be um, tapped on for this very important role, um, the face of um, a lieutenant governor, statewide leader, as, you know, a first Alaska Native woman to carry this role. I think it's the beginning of a trend that we are going to see nationally as well as here in Alaska that Alaska Native women we know we're running we're running the show in a lot of instances and so i think this is just a reflection of a movement um that that i'm inspired by i would love to see val at the top of the ticket in the future um i i really love and respect val dearly um and so that certainly helped um helped us um soften soften what could have been a really really um much more difficult fall i think as a native community um, I look forward to what they're able to accomplish. You know, their their term, it's, it's, it's not over yet. And so I look forward to seeing what, what they may be able to accomplish um, between now and the end of the year. 
And speaking of um, women leadership, there's a lot of races nationally with Native women seeking congressional offices, state offices, uh, state legislatures. So definitely um, there are a lot of Native women saying it's the year of Native women, especially in politics. And part of it is uh, engaging the young people and the elders into exercising rights to vote. And that's part of what Native uh, People's Action is doing. And um, you presented at the Elders and Youth Conference this week and talked and, and tried to get the fire going with the attendees to get out to vote. The August Alaska primary vote was the lowest turnout in Alaska state primary history. Let that resonate a little bit with you guys. The August Alaska primary vote was the lowest turnout in Alaska state primary history. Think about going out hunting and only having enough gas for a quarter mile. Can you get a moose that way? Think about going to help your auntie cut fish, but only staying for an hour when she's got a day's worth to cut. Think about playing on your basketball teams, but only playing for one quarter when your team really needs you. We can't make change if we all don't show up. So 18% voter turnout, that's really hard to visualize, uh, but it's really terrifying to me. So I'm going to ask this first round of tables right here, all the ones along the stage, just to raise your hands. Could you raise your hands for me? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not very good at math, but that's about 18% of this room. That means that this group of people defined our leadership for this entire room across the entire state. Okay, so I'm going to ask everybody now, please raise your hands if you love having other people make decisions for you. Okay. Okay. Um, can you please raise your hands if you love being told how many fish you can put in your freezer to feed your family? Hmm, I don't see many hands out there. That means that other people are making crucial, important decisions about how you subsist, how you lead your life, how you protect and care for your family. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way at all. We all need to rise up together to ensure that we all have an equal say at our table so that we are the ones making decisions about our subsistence and about our lives. This is how we mobilize action. And that was uh, Get Out the Native Vote effort at Elders and Youth Conference this week. Uh, Kendra, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so a, a big thing for me that I've been working on for years is the Get Out the Native Vote effort, and through Native People's Action, uh, we partner with a number of groups to do that. The Alaska Native Voices, 17% of the voting populations are Alaska Natives, and so we have a really great power. We come out and we can vote and we can change elections. We've seen that on multiple different occasions through um, the write-in for Lisa, Lisa Murkowski. And what we need to do is really come to the table. We need to elect leaders that are going to be really cherishing our values and our culture and putting that through and policies. And if we don't get out to vote, then that, that's not going to happen. So what we do is really try to mobilize, get people out, and make, and make everyone understand how important it is that the, the vote that you have, that is your voice. That, that is electing the, the people or whether it's 
uh, ballot propositions, we have a voice and that is the way that we need to use it. We have this great power and as you said, we have a lot of Alaska Native leaders, a lot of Alaska Native women that are really um, coming forward and I think that what we're doing and what we're seeing is a change and we're seeing a change and we want to make sure that we're represented in our state legislature and we can see some diversity. We need more diversity. We need a legislature that is representative of the people of Alaska and so this is an important issue for me um, personally and but I think across as I talk with people and especially being at elders and youth and having a lot of those conversations with our youth is they're getting energized and they're talking and they're talking with their parents, their aunties, their uncles, and really feeling the power of that. After um, our presentation, we had a number of youth come up to us and say, thank you, that, that, that was so helpful. And they filled out pledge to vote cards or pledge to you know get their aunties and uncles out and really instilling that in our youth at a young age is becoming super important and they're helping with you know even some of the maybe older generations that haven't got out to vote because there's been so much systemic in, in our culture of not having that right we really had to fight for that right to vote so it's also encouraging um, the older generations you know and getting out of that systemic um, just disenfranchisement yes thank you for that word and so it's just, um, this is kind of an, e an effort that we continue. It's not just during election season, it's all year long that we'll be doing this. Andrea? Yeah, so um, Liz, Medicine Crow, and myself, we recently attended the Native Power Building Summit in Albuquerque, um, put on by Ad um, Advanced Native American Political Leadership. And so I was so inspired to learn about what's happening nationally, right, the, the year of the Native woman. And so we brought that energy back up here to Alaska. Um, we're doing a lot to organize and get out the vote, as Kendra was saying. But um, I, think, I think we're also starting to do the candidate recruitment um, in my work. I've, I've trained probably 100 people at this point. Um, and we're calling it like a civic engagement or advocacy training. And it's really the first thing is making sure that um, people are leading with love. They're leading with their community in mind. They're leading um, in a way that is an inclusive process rather than as an individual, you know, advancing their own individual pursuit and goals. And so we're creating this, I think of it as a resource basket where as Native people, we might not necessarily want to put ourselves out there in this way. We're taught we're kind of on the same level. Our elders always tell us we're on the same level as people. We're not above anyone. And so sometimes that, that culturally makes it hard for us to want to step out and, and get involved in elections and campaigns in, in such a way. So I see these, these trainings as building a resource basket so that folks feel supported that they're going through this process side by side, other native people, that they, um, maybe they're not the same political party, but values wise and our, you know, our ways of life wise, that there's a lot of synergy and similarities there. And so while we're also doing the work to get out the vote, we're also doing the work of preparing and growing and loving up um, those who we want to be our elected leaders. We don't just want to vote for, you know, these certain candidates that, that don't represent our views. We, we want to be able to get out the vote for the candidates who inspire us, who um, look like us, who come from similar backgrounds. And so I'm excited about that part of the work. Well, I want to just uh, thank you both for being here today. And we've 
Um, also, what we're seeing is always including Alaska Native language and culture and for the future generations of all the work that is being done by First Alaskans Institute and um, Native Peoples Action. Thank you, Andrea and Kendra, for being with us today. Oyana. Thank you. morning. I'm Antonia Gonzalez and I am here at the Denina Center in Anchorage, Alaska for the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention. Uh, delegates are making their way in. You just heard a program this morning. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Alaska's Native Voice with Andrea Sanders and Kendra Kloster who were talking about social justice. Um, we have our producer, Emily Schwing, who um, is going to elaborate on some of the issues uh, that have been discussed here in Anchorage this week. Earlier this week, Alaska's Lieutenant Governor Byron Malott resigned abruptly following inappropriate comments he made toward a woman. The details are scant. Alaskans usually elect their governor and lieutenant governor separately. But Malott and Governor Bill Walker were running for re-election together on a unity ticket. Malott's resignation comes only three weeks before Election Day. Governor Bill Walker commented on the matter during the Elders and Youth Conference in Anchorage this week. I, our focus is, as I told the cabinet in an emergency cabinet meeting today, is that, you know, it's not, our focus is not on how long we're going to be here, it's what we do while we're here. And so today was uh, a difficult day for uh, a lot of a lot of reasons, and um, we feel very very badly about that. Uh, and so it's a matter of, of moving moving on and making sure that uh, uh, a situation like this don't uh, don't reoccur. And I went, uh, you know, it was it was brought to my attention uh, last night, and it was addressed uh, this morning with Lieutenant Governor Mott taking full responsibility. And the right thing for him to do would be to to step down. It was his decision. Uh, and it was it was the right thing to do. So I, I uh, this is not about votes. This is about uh, the right thing to do. But I've spent the last couple of days with Native youth, Native elders from Alaska, and um, voting has been a huge number one priority. But also sexual abuse, sexual assault against women and children. So what is your response to people who are going to potentially go to the polls? We had a huge delegation of more than half a dozen people coming out saying, get out the native vote. It was the lowest primary in Alaska history to come and vote. So what is your response to the native voters who, who historically say, why vote? Well, they must vote. Uh, they really must. We've had, you know, we have the, the first uh, Alaska native speaker of the house. 
Uh, and when he won that seat initially, when he came into the legislature, it was won by a flip of a coin because it was, it was absolutely a tie vote. He won the, he won the t t coin toss and came into the legislature. So every single vote uh, counts. I'd strongly urge uh, for the, the Alaska Native vote to get out and, uh, and vote. And you know, this is a, uh, as I traveled rural Alaska, as I've listened to, you know, whether I was in, I'm in Anvik or I was in Galena or in Bethel or, you know, no attack or wherever I, I've traveled, I've listened to the, the needs in uh, rural Alaska. It's significant. It really is. The public safety is the highest, highest priority for us in uh, rural Alaska as well as in urban Alaska. But we have we have introduced uh, legislation and funding for an, a statewide 911 system. It's so basic to not have be able to. I mean, everyone should be able to pick up the phone and dial 911, and there's someone to be able to respond. The second thing is making sure there's someone that can respond. You know, we have. You know, put in additional funding to raise the, you know, the salary of the uh, of the of the troopers as well as BPSO, so that they so that they will be retained and, and will have public safety officers in in various communities. And I know there's some areas that have not had a BPSO or a trooper for a long time. So we are 52 troopers short, uh, and we are uh, addressing that. I was at the Trooper Academy recently in Sitka, visit with those going through that training, thank them for what they're doing. And, and, and adding to uh, the, the void or the shortage that we have in, in, in public safety. The other piece is, you know, someone needs to show up. You know, when someone dials that 911, we're going to make sure they can show up, make sure we have the, 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 the you know, the aircraft available, specifically uh, a, a make that can get into rural Alaska, uh, and we're looking at that as well. This is not an issue about funding. It's about the right thing to do. So that's what we've been doing. We'll continue to do that. And, but, but by all means, uh, get out and, and vote. That is critical that, uh, that every vote, every voter is out voting this year. Following Malat's resignation, Valerie Davidson was immediately sworn in as Lieutenant Governor of Alaska. She's the first Alaska Native woman to hold the position. Um, none of us really anticipated this, and the circumstances were really, really unfortunate. Uh, I really appreciate uh, Governor Walker um, naming me in the succession plan uh, earlier this year in April in the confirmation by the legislature. And, um, you know, I think it's good for uh, Alaska Native women, and it's good for women everywhere, really, to see someone in this position. Um, because women in our state need to know that we matter. Lieutenant Governor Valerie Davidson also answered questions about safety in Alaska's rural communities. And we recognize that there are gaps in our statutes right now that don't adequately protect women. And he has asked uh, Attorney General Linda Muth to be able to fill those gaps. And so we'll be proposing legislation to do that. Um, is that as far as like laws go, or or like what gaps would be filled? Well, I think that's a start. Um, it's my first, literally my first day on the job, so um, I'm sure we'll have more in the coming days. Her comments came a day after Governor Bill Walker spoke on the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women during the Elders and Youth Conference. He spoke about a young girl from Kotzebue who went missing and was found murdered there in early September. Her funeral came a day after the governor signed an administrative order that recognized the emergency nature of Alaska Native languages. When I read that um, and signed that administrative order, it was only one day after I had been in Kotzebue for the funeral of Ashley Johnson Barr, and I could not speak. When I got up to speak about this joyous celebration of um, what we were doing, couldn't do it. It was too soon. You know, I, um, I celebrate all this, 
all the great things that happened in Alaska while I'm governor, but I take full responsibility for everything that's bad that happens in Alaska because I'm governor. And I take that very seriously. And so as I sat through that service, the two and a half hours in Cottesville, all I could think of was, what could I have done differently? What could I have done as governor to make sure that hadn't happened? Make sure that never happens again. You know, I, don't, I, couldn't, come up with, I couldn't come up with a single point of, of uh, what could have been done. I know there are things that could be done, that must be done. It's something that um, I don't mean to speak and, and bring any sorrow into this great celebration. But, you know, sometimes um, I can't help it because I feel very, very, very responsible for things that are, that are not happening correctly in, uh, in this great state. Governor Walker did add that his administrative order was something worth celebrating. Last month, I had the honor of signing Administrative Order 300. Administrative Order 300 is the recognition of the emergency nature of Alaska Native languages. It was a, it was a, it was a result in, from the legislature, past legislation, uh, asking me to do that, and we certainly were happy to do that. But we did, but we wanted to do more. We wanted to make sure that we had in our administration a tribal liaison for each department. So when somebody is talking about an issue with fish and game, we have a tribal liaison in that department and in every department in our, in our uh, uh, administration. So it was an honor to do it. On the naming of, of, of signs, uh, we'll now have the, the appropriate indigenous name on signs as well. When we name a, a stream or a mountain or a bridge or a river, um, uh, that will be there as well. You know, it was quite a, it was quite a celebration. Uh, but it was, not a, uh, it was not a graduation. It was just another, another step in the direction that uh, we, need to be, we need to be going. You know, a signature does not mean everything has changed. A signature by the governor on an um, administrative order does not mean everything has changed. It means that on the journey that we're on, we've taken another step, and we've taken another step in the right, in the right direction. But it doesn't come with papers and signatures. It comes with attitudes. It comes from, uh, from with the heart and the, and the passion of continuing to do what needs, should have been done long ago. Wesley Aiken from Barrow, Alaska, was born January 25th, 1926. He delivered the keynote address during this week's Elders and Youth Conference in Anchorage. He spoke about what life is like in his community, past and present, and he touched on the needs of people living in Alaska's rural communities. He also talked about the importance of education and making sure to respect the land and the people. Young people, I'd like to see you for higher education. Now these days, we are with the, uh, like, lower 48. I'm glad we can do uh, hunting and fishing, still free out here in Alaska. 
because some of us don't have much money to buy a grocery. And everything is higher, especially where I live, in Barrow, Alaska. The groceries are way up. Loaf of bread cost good one almost nine dollars. So we have to you have to think about it and try and get a good job with your higher education in your school. So <clears throat> I'm going to talk about respect. My ancestors were <clears throat> you never in you in you in you our ancestors were strong and they they have to live on uh, going on find something to eat even if it's uh, 40, 50 below, windshield went down to 100 below sometime when they were out there trying to find some food. Then, I can learn a little bit from my grand grandpa and grandma. They have to live in the land without a rifle to hunt. They make their own something to 
picture of food. There was no four-wheeler, snow machine. It, no electricity, no matches. They used uh, flint and steel to make a fire or to make a hot water or to make a, a cook a fresh meat. They live in, uh, some of them live in uh, shot houses or something like that, you know. They don't, they don't have any heat in that shot house. Only dogs, there's few dogs they use. That's what uh, my grandma, grandpa telling me uh, when they had lots of dogs, there's only four, three or four dogs with them to pull the sled. They walk most of the time. <clears throat> they made their own hunting tools and everything. To catch a, a food to live on. They were hard workers. They never got tired until they, uh, they have to store the food where it would, it would be eaten by other animals. taught me how to live, how to hunt, fish and trap. My grandpa 
Cranberries taught me how to hunt. Their names were Echelisip and Anai. That's who they were. They, our ancestors don't live forever. They always left us, you know, after they taught us how to make a living in, uh, in the Arctic. This year's 2018 youth keynote at the Elders and Youth uh, Convention was Tristan Madras, who's a Koyakon Athabascan, 20 years old, and he was talking about youth leadership and became a leader of his tribe at 19. But now I think it's the time that you awaken your culture. It's the time you start speaking your language. It's the time you also start doing your dances and singing your songs and being proud of who you are and where you come from. Our ancestors are fire. It wasn't too long ago when people were ashamed to be native, but now we need to leave that shame behind us and we must embrace our heritage. We must remember why we are here. We must be proud of the land we come from. We must respect the land we come from. We are here today because of our ancestors. The things that they went through so we could be here are unimaginable. And we have to respect that by respecting the land they walked on. We must continue to move their footprints around. We shouldn't cover them up with oil rigs, mines, and logging companies. It's time that we realize what we leave behind is what our future generations will have to deal with. It's very important we make our decisions carefully. We should be incorporating our traditions, our oral histories, and dancing into our curriculum. We should be teaching these things to the children in the schools. You have to start somewhere. You are the culture bearers. You are the bridge between the past and the future. It is your responsibility, though you may not know it, but you have to start somewhere. You have to keep that fire burning bright. The fire that our ancestors started within us, it's in each and every one of you. We are living in a new era where our young people are becoming our leaders. For example, I'm currently the second chief of my village, being elected at 19. I've learned a lot. <clears throat> I've learned a lot in this past year. Have had to make tough decisions, but necessary decisions. Another example is Tanana Chiefs Conference. They were awarded a grant from the federal government called the I-LEAD grant. It's a grant that they are using to fund the Emerging Leaders Council. That council was formed in 2017 with six founding members, myself included. We were ages 18 to 20. 
This past year, six more members were added, making a council of 12 people, our 12 youth from the six sub-regions. We are learning what it means to be leaders of today. TCC took the initiative and started to train their own leaders. I'm excited to see where this brings us. I think we all should be. Like I said, we're living in a time of awakening. We are breathing life into our culture again. I think that's the greatest thing ever. To see our languages being revitalized, to see our dances coming back, just as that medicine man had foretold. My language and culture is a big part of who I am today. It's what makes my heart beat, just as it does yours. You all have it. I don't know where I would be today without my culture. And one thing I carry from my late great-grandfather is never forget where I come from. And don't let anyone make you feel ashamed of your culture. You should think about what you carry from your grandparents, from your ancestors. Whether you believe it or not, each of you carry something from them that has been passed down from generation to generation. And now it is your turn to add to that fire. It's your turn to breathe life into your culture. I want to thank First Alaskans Institute for allowing me the opportunity to speak to you all today. I want to thank the elders and youth for traveling so far. I hope you enjoy the conference and tra safe travels back home. Anamasi. Thank you very much. the youth keynote of the Elders and Youth Conference uh, this week, Tristan Madras, and we heard from the elder keynote, uh, Wesley Aiken as well. The Elders and Youth Conference, now in its 35th year, it leads up to the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention, which is kicking off, and this year it will be, the theme is Innovation in the Past, Present, and Future. People from across the state come to this event. Um, it, it, they hear from state officials, federal officials. They look at policies. They're going to be talking about a number of different issues impacting um, Alaska Native people, subsistence, energy. Those are topics that are always on the top of the list for tribal leaders. There's a lot of uh, national Native organizations here as well as uh, tribal organizations, health, health care, um, and especially voting. There's going to be a lot of politicians here seeking uh, re-election, others who are um, seeking to to get into those positions. And as we heard in Alaska's Native Voice, looking at social justice, there's a lot of movement to get out the Native vote, especially among young people. And people are filling in at the AFN convention taking place at the Denina Center in Anchorage, an early morning. And they're, they're, uh, they've 
they honored uh, military members. Uh, dozens of people have been honored. Um, they have a march, which has taken place in recent years, where the Alaska Native veterans and service members um, come in and march as they have the posting of colors. And they're going to hear, they're going to, they're just getting started with the convention. Um, they're getting ready to hear a lot of different reports. They will have an elders and youth conference report. They'll have an AFN president's report. Um, they'll also have a keynote address with Lieutenant Governor Valerie Davidson. Um, she will be speaking this morning as well as the um, Governor Bill Walker. Um, they're going to also hear from federal officials. U.S. Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke is going to deliver a video message. Um, but the Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs, Tara Sweeney, is here in person and she will be addressing the delegation. There's a lot going on with the Interior of the Department. Uh, they have reorganization or reorganizing, they're looking to do that. Um, there's also a lot of stuff when it comes to policy and land. They're going to hear from also from the Assistant Secretary for Land and Minerals Management under the Interior Department. Um, then they're going to talk a little bit about a Tribal Leaders Conference, which is co-sponsored by the Alaska Federation of Natives and the National Congress of the American Indians. And that is where tribal leaders uh, from across the state gather and they talk with federal officials, or state officials rather, and they're, they look at a number of different issues coming in uh, right before the AFN convention. So the, coming up this week, we have uh, Alaska's Native Voice is going to continue. Tomorrow we're going to talk about um, sexual abuse. There's a lot of talk going on at Elders and Youth Conference and also here at AFN on this topic, uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Um, and we also have a lot of uh, male leaders who are stepping up and talking about sex abuse. We have uh, people who are saying enough is enough and that the male voice needs to be included in talking about uh, these discussions. So we'll have that. Also coming up on Alaska's Native Voice uh, will be culture. Culture is part of everything that Alaska Native people do here. Language, culture, there's a lot of arts. There's a huge arts and crafts affair here. And so we'll be looking at some beading, um, different, uh, also food, uh, salmon, and uh, we there's a salmon demonstration, uh, different food preparation, a chef talking about Native foods. And so we will have that. Thank you for listening to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez and producer Emily Schwing. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez, Emily Schwing, and Nola Daves-Moses. Funding support from Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, ConocoPhillips, the Siri Foundation, Exxon Mobile Alaska, South Central Foundation, Donlin Gold, Manalip Association, Chalista Corporation, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.